0: At Luckylandslots.com. Available to players in the US, excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we
0: go. Welcome
1: in, everybody, episode 264 of the podcast. that is Sweeping America. The Air Tour Sports Podcast, it is Monday, June 22nd, 2020. I hope all of you are having a great Monday. I hope all of you had a great Father's Day. We obviously have a ton of guys who are fathers who listen to this show. We have a ton of fathers and sons who listen to this show. So however you spent it, if you spent it in the backyard grilling, if you spent it at a restaurant, if you got a new tie that's going to go with all the other ties and socks that you've gotten for holidays over the last 10 years, Happy Father's Day. I hope you had a great day. And despite it being late June, we got another great show for you today. And this show, I think, is going to be reflective of what we've done and why this show has grown and expanded during the quarantine, right? So many shows, you see, uh, people are struggling to create content, struggling to be interesting. And this show is the opposite. I don't think I'm always right, but I do think I bring interesting, unique perspectives. I always keep it real. You never always necessarily agree with me, but I tell it like it is, and I'm going to tell it like it is on a bunch of stuff that happened since I last recorded on Saturday. First thing, coronavirus. I have obviously talked about this just about every single episode here over the last three, four, five weeks, and I want to talk about it as it pertains again to college football, where we are again seeing outbreaks on campus. Now, I know I talked about it a few weeks ago. Bama, Auburn, A and M, Ole Miss. A bunch of these schools had mini outbreaks, two, three, four cases. Now we're getting really big outbreaks. Clemson, twenty-three positive tests on their football team. LSU, as I record here on Sunday, thirty players in quarantine. And listen, I'm not telling you this is great. I'm not telling you this is good news. But I think when you peel back the emotion of seeing that headline, twenty-three players. I think, and you just look at the facts, there are some perfectly logical explanations as to why this is happening. We are going to get into that. On the field in football, we will also get into something else that I found very interesting. Alabama and Ohio State scheduling a home-and-home for 2027-2028. Listen, I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to break this down with the depth charts and where's Ohio State going to be in 2027-2028, but I do think there are two interesting elements here that nobody is talking about that I do want to get into. Then we'll transition to basketball where your boy Bill Self is apparently suing the NCAA, I don't really get it, but we will talk about him and if he has a case. And I'm not a lawyer, but I don't think he does. And finally, the NBA draft—they have, uh, you know, readjusted the calendar, and now players can actually, if they want to, re-enter the NBA draft and have up until August 17th to pull out. And so there is a lot of concern and a lot of fan bases, most notably with Kentucky and their transfer star Olivier Saar, I don't think it's a big deal and I will explain why. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And again, I want to thank you guys so much for what you have done for me the last two, three, four months. As this quarantine has happened, numbers are going down everywhere. We are on pace to, again, record a record number of downloads in the month of June, and it's because you guys. So if you're not subscribed, please make sure that you're subscribed on iTunes, on the Podcast Addict app, on Android, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to this show, make sure to subscribe. And oh, by the way, if you want your friends to hear the most honest, candid, real conversation about what's going on in sports right now, tell them about the Aaron Torres Podcast. That is the best thing that you can do. If you want to help me, tell your buddies that like college football, that like college basketball, that you think would enjoy it. Not everybody's going to, Not everybody can handle AT twice a week, every week, okay? But let them know, let them know why you like this show, why you listen to this show, and it's because, again, I'm one of the most honest people in media. I tell it like it is, and I think you guys enjoy that element of it. So make sure you're subscribed, rate and review, give us a quick five stars. And as always, find me on social media, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Uh, Facebook, Aaron Torres, writer. YouTube, Aaron. Where are you? Wherever you find me, I'm there. I'm hanging. I'm doing good content, just like I'm doing on this show. So make sure to find me on all the social media platforms. And if you're not subscribed, make sure to subscribe already. All right, people. No more time to waste. It is Monday. You're fired up. I'm fired up. And I think the most interesting story I would argue in all of sports that has come up over the last couple of days is this situation really across college football, but I think Clemson is kind of the face of it. Clemson has, of course, been in the news because of some stuff Dabo Sweeney has said, some stuff Dabo Sweeney has warned, some stuff Dabo Sweeney has not said, and now Clemson is back in the news because, as best I can tell, they have had the bigger, biggest kind of quote-unquote cluster outbreak of coronavirus cases of anyone in college football. And obviously it goes without saying, but as kids report back to campus, they are tested on the way in, they are tested pretty regularly. And Clemson had 23 players test positive, 28 athletes and coaches out of a uh, 300 plus that were tested, tested positive. And so of course, the second you hear that, everybody freaks out. And listen, the one thing I will say is this, I am not gonna get on my high horse. I am not going to tell you how you need to feel. And I will also admit that it was a little nerve wracking for me when I saw that headline. Yes, I got nervous like everybody else. But I think what I always try to do on this show, I always try to take emotion out of what I tell you and just look at the facts. And sometimes it is very simply uh, something that happens on the quarter on the field, right? Louisville loses to Michigan. Was it Michigan? No, Louisville loses to Texas Tech. Even though they're number one in the country, I say they're not very good. And everybody gets all mad at AT. Oh my God, you hate Louisville. You're such a Kentucky apologist. John Calipari. No, I'm just looking at the facts. They've played two good teams and they looked awful in both games. I don't think they're very good. I talk about it with coaching hires. I talk about it with transfers. Remember Matt Harms, I took my emotion out of it and I just said, I don't think he's a very good fit for Kentucky. You can disagree if you want. That's my personal opinion based on the facts that I have. And so when I look at this Clemson situation, I'm not saying it's not scary to see the headline, but I think when you take out the emotion, take out the emotion, take a deep breath and read and listen to the facts I think it's going to be okay, and I think there are logical reasons why this is happening, and so this is the part that drives me crazy is you see these reporters across college football, and I hate naming names, but you know who they are. They freak out. They they, they live in the fear industry. They never wanted players to report back to campus in the first place, and now it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We knew when players reported back Players were going to test positive. We knew it was going to happen. So now that it's happening, these guys that didn't want players to come back in the first place are now like pigs in slop, loving every moment of this because they feel like they are right. And so what I would say is we have to take the emotion out of this, the fear out of this and just talk about facts. And so let's just look at the facts of what's going on at Clemson and really the facts of the broader conversation of this coronavirus as a whole. It has not gone away. It will not go away. And so I think as we come to grips with the facts, it is going to help us contextualize a story like Clemson. All right, and so fact number one is that we are seeing spikes all around the country right now. And there are a number of reasons why, which I will get into in a minute, but it is happening all over the country. And everybody wants to, again, politicize it. They want to take their opinion on coronavirus that they made in April and apply it to modern standards. And so if you believe that we should have never opened up in the first place, you're looking at Florida and saying, well, they're a hotspot. Texas, well, they're a hotspot. Arizona, well, they're a hotspot. Well, guess what? guess what? I live in California. California was one of the last states to open up. California, I could not go to a restaurant and get a meal until two Fridays ago. Guess what? California is also a hotspot. It happens. We are not going to eliminate this illness. The goal was never to eliminate this illness. We wanted to flatten the curve which we did, which brings me to the facts of why these numbers are going up. Why are the numbers going up? Well, fact number one, testing is going up. Again, not being political, not sharing my opinion. This is a fact. We are testing more than we ever have before, and we are testing, by the way, people that are not showing symptoms, that are young, and that need to be tested for a variety of reasons outside of actually being sick, many of you are returning to the office space. Many of you, as I understand it, are being asked to take a coronavirus test before you come back into the office for obvious reasons, for everybody's safety. How about all these football players? They're young, they're healthy, they feel fine. They are being tested because they have to be tested to be allowed back in the facilities. So one, as testing goes up, Positive tests are going to go up because, as I've told you since the day the NCAA tournament was canceled, this was all information I was finding from the CDC website, from the WHO website, is that a huge number of these cases dating back to March and April were asymptomatic. And so, yes, the numbers are going to go up because testing is going up and people who think they are healthy are being tested to either return to the workplace, return to the football facility, return to the basketball facility, whatever. And we're catching positive cases. By the way, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing that 23 Clemson players tested positive on campus where they can be quarantined, where they can be taken care of by medical professionals, and when they're not with their families at home. God forbid, I talked about this two or three weeks ago, but God forbid these Clemson players were at home and two, three, four of these guys catch it and maybe they live with grandma, maybe they live with mom, maybe dad has an underlying health condition. It's a good thing that we're catching these these, uh, contagions. And oh, by the way, as I said, as testing goes up, positive tests are going to go up. Fact number two, and this is a fact. This is not my opinion. I want to make this clear. Let's just look at the facts. Fact number two is very simply this. As basically we get back out into society, as exposure goes up, more positive tests are going to come. I just told you a minute ago, the last two weeks are the first time that I could personally go to a restaurant. Some of you are deciding to stay home. Some of you are deciding to play it safe. As I've said on this show many times, I will never tell you how to feel. All I will do is present you the information and let you make your own decisions. Me personally, I have wanted to get out. I have wanted to eat at restaurants. I have wanted to go to the gym. I went and got my first haircut in three months on Friday. But guess what? As I get out, I am now being exposed to more people in a day than I was exposed to over probably the entire month of April. I'm not even kidding. The entire month of April, I basically saw my wife, my wife's sister, and my wife's parents. That was basically the entire amount of people that I saw the entire month of April. I see that many people at the barbershop getting my hair cut on Friday. And so guess what? As exposure goes up, Positive tests are going to go up. Never forget, all of our politicians have said there were two goals, flatten the curve, but when we come back out, we're certainly hoping for a vaccine, but we also need herd immunity. Well, guess what herd immunity is? Getting out and exposing yourself to the illness. And to be clear for the 100th time, I know many of you have dealt with this illness. I know many of you know someone who's dealt with this illness. If you don't feel comfortable, you shouldn't be going out. You shouldn't be going to a restaurant. You shouldn't be going to the gym. You shouldn't be going to the hair salon. I'm not telling you how to feel, but what I'm saying is there are perfectly logical reasons for these increased exposures. And fact number three, and nobody wants to talk about it, but I have to be honest with you guys as an audience. Part of this conversation does have to do with the fact that we had peaceful protests across this country over the last three, four weeks. And and, and, and I will never ever, ever, ever tell people that they don't have the right to protest. Of course you do, of course you do, and there's a lot of things that have gone on in this world that have been talked about a lot over the last couple weeks. You have every single right to protest. You should protest if it's something you're passionate about, but we can't deny that when you went from, as I said, April, May, you're literally around four, five, six people the entire month, and now we have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people packed into one little place, yes, yes, your exposure goes up and you're going to be in close contact with people that may have this illness. And so I think when you take those three facts, well, four facts really. One, that cases are going up all over the country, independent of East Coast, West Coast, North, South, cold, warm, whatever. Cases are going up in Texas and Florida, but also California, also Arizona. And you think about the reasons why because testing is going up, because exposure is going up, and because we did have these protests and large public gatherings, it kind of makes sense. By the way, last little fact, and then I will get into back to Clemson specifically. The final fact is that, and this is more of an opinion, but what has driven me crazy about the way we have covered this coronavirus is we treat every illness the same. We treat every case the same. You know, we treat, God forbid, the 98-year-old that needs to go to the hospital and use a ventilator and is there for two weeks, the same that we do with the asymptomatic football player that never showed any single signs of even having this illness. Donovan Mitchell, you can go back and listen to his interviews when he was still contagious with this virus back in March, and he said, I feel fine. I feel great, but they tell me I got to stay in this room for 10 to 14 days until I test negative. And so I bring that up because it is important to know that not every positive test equals a hospitalization. Not every positive test equals the need for the use of a ventilator. Not every positive test equals, you know, God forbid, a death. And so let's, in that context, using those facts, using the facts that ex- that cases are going up everywhere... That testing is going up, that exposures are going up, and that again, let's remember that every positive test does not equal a hospitalization or death. Let's go back and look at the Clemson situation, okay? So here are the facts on the Clemson situation. Fact number one of the 23 cases at Clemson, all 23 players have basically been found to be asymptomatic. We, At the very least, we heard the vast, vast, vast majority have been asymptomatic, okay? That is a good thing. Second thing, oh, by the way, of the 23 players who have tested positive, zero were hospitalized. That is an incredibly good thing. That is very important. And fact number three, and nobody's gonna talk about this. Fact number three is, two Saturdays ago, there was a peaceful protest on Clemson's campus that most of the football team attended. And oh, by the way, the protest ended in everybody locking arms in solidarity. And that's a great thing. And again, for the millionth time, there are other places that we can talk about what is going on outside of sports other than the Aaron Torres podcast. But on this podcast, that is relevant to the fact that there was a political protest where people were close together, locking arms, and now a lot of people are testing positive. And so when you look at the Clemson case, I'm not saying you shouldn't be scared. I'm not saying it's not okay, that, 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 by the way, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be protecting ourselves, washing our hands, wearing masks, but what I am saying is that when you break it down in its simplest form, there are a lot of logical reasons as to why This particular outbreak happened at this particular time in this particular place. Let's take it to another one. How about LSU? You see the headline. Again, the fear that the media is, and I'm not trying to be like the media is the bad guy, but you see a headline. 30 players players are quarantined at LSU this weekend. You see that headline? That's scary. You think it's getting worse. Then you look at the headline and you actually read the article. What does the article say? The article says, that LSU's players, that there was this big outbreak at this strip of bars in Baton Rouge, and that a bunch of LSU's players were there. First of all, that's really stupid. First of all, to go back to a topic that I never even hit on, Ohio State, remember Ohio State had players sign that waiver and everybody freaked out and everybody was like, oh my goodness, this is unfair and they can't. What the waiver actually said, if you read about the waiver, is that we are going to do everything at Ohio State to take care of you. You need to be responsible when you leave the facility, and it was called the Buckeye Pledge, and what it basically said was, when you leave this facility, you're not going to be out being an idiot exposing yourself needlessly to this virus. If you just read about it, Google the Ohio State thing and Gene Smith's comments. That was all the pledge said. It did not say you will lose your scholarship if you don't want to report. Actually, the opposite. It said that you will keep your scholarship even if you're not comfortable playing, But it also said you can't be an idiot when you leave this facility because we as a school are doing everything we can to protect you and you need to be responsible to your fellow players and peers. I bring it back to LSU because LSU, the reason that 30 players were quarantined is because they were all out at this strip of bars where all these people got exposure. And so if you actually read the article on LSU, not all 30 players have tested positive. All 30 players were there, and they're doing the best they can to separate them and test them before they can possibly spread it around the locker room. And so, again, I'm going to move off coronavirus. You guys are tired of me yelling and screaming and ranting and raving, but these are important conversations that you need to have. And I do feel like most of the people who cover college football are only giving you one side of it. They're only showing you the headline, Clemson, 23 players test positive. Oh my God, the world's coming to an end. We can never play college football again. Oh my God, LSU, 30 positive, thirty players being quarantined. We'll never play college football again. And all I want to do is present you the facts and let you make an, an informed decision on what you think. Is it the greatest thing in the world that LSU has 30 players in quarantine as I record this? Of course not. Is it the greatest thing in the world that Clemson has 23 players that have tested positive? Of course not. But again, part of opening up this country was to create herd immunity, and I will say this. Again, not a fact, not an opinion, but a fact. The fact is that these players are going to recover. The fact is that of all the deaths of coronavirus in the United States, over 100 plus thousand, about 150 have come to people under the age of 25, and many of them had health conditions. That is one-tenth of 1% of all deaths. Now, I'm not saying that everything's gonna be fine and it's it's a utopia, but what I am saying is we have to look at the facts and we have to look at the fact that this was all part of the plan. Exposing people to this illness when they can battle it off was part of the plan. It's still about being responsible. It's still about wearing a mask. It's still about washing your hands, but it's also about some of us have to get back into society. We have to reopen up. We have to restart everything And we have to be exposed to this illness. So I hope at the very least, I know I did a lot of ranting and raving and yelling and screaming, but I hope at the very least, you guys understand that it is really important when you see a headline like this to look at the facts. And I do think that when you look at the facts of this specific case, I'm not saying it's perfect, I'm not saying it's great, but what I am saying is it might not be as bad as everybody thinks and it's important to look at the facts and use logic in this case. All right, really quick, uh, a couple other topics I want to get to. First one is an actual fun on the field football topic. I feel like all I've done is talk coronavirus and talked about this, that, the other thing, Mike Gundy, a lot of stuff that isn't fun. You know what's fun? Bama, LSU, or Bama Ohio State home and home 2027-2028. Yo, people, what are you doing in September 2027? Because I'm going to Tuscaloosa, baby. Alabama, Ohio State, Alabama at Ohio State, Ohio State at Alabama, that is something fun we can all get behind. And like I said off the top, I'm not gonna spend a vast, vast, vast majority of time talking about this because these are games that are seven years into the future. Now I will also say this, seven years goes by quick. Because I remember when Ohio State and Oregon signed a contract for a home-and-home back when Chip Kelly was at Oregon in about 2012-2013, and it was for 2020 and 2021, and it felt like that that was a million years in the future, and guess what? Ohio State plays at Oregon in week two of this year. And so I'm not going to spend a ton of time breaking it down, but I do think there are two really interesting elements to this that I don't think a lot of other people have really talked about. And the one thing I always try to do is make you think. And, and for people who are new to this show or even people that are old, to, you know, have been around this show for a while, whenever there's kind of something interesting in sports that happens, what I always try to do is take out the what of things and I try to look at the why of things. And so with Alabama, Ohio State, There's only so many times I can say, oh my God, it's awesome. Oh my God, get to the horseshoe in 2027. Oh my God, get to Bryant Denny in 2028. And so what what I tried to get down to the why of this weekend is why are these games being scheduled? Why after years of Alabama playing one neutral site game to open the season against a good opponent and then playing three cupcakes Has Alabama all of a sudden become the most aggressive team scheduling in college football? For people who don't follow this day-to-day, I don't blame you. You get a lot of stuff on your plate. Over the next 10 years, Alabama has a home-and-home with Texas, with Ohio State now, with Notre Dame, with Wisconsin, with West Virginia In the future, down the road, in the 2030s, they have a home-and-home with Oklahoma. So how did Alabama go from playing at Jerry's World or uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in, in Atlanta? Why are they doing that? Why are they going from that one game on a neutral site to now playing the best programs in the country on the road? They have not played a true road game out of conference since 2010 when they played Penn State, that was like Nick Saban's third or fourth year at Bama. And so when I look at the why, I think it's two reasons. I think, first of all, everybody in college football is struggling with this, even Alabama. And that's very simply season ticket sales. And I, I was talking to my buddy Ryan Fowler. He comes on this show sometimes. He's a Bama radio host. And I asked him point blank. I said, are your fans tired of these these neutral site games in Atlanta or Dallas? And he said it's not really that we're tired of them, because for some people that can't afford a season ticket package to Brian Denny, they can get down to Atlanta for a couple hundred bucks, stay in a cheap hotel, get a nosebleed seat, and that might be the only chance that they get to see Bama all year. And so it's not so much that the fan base is tired of it, but the fans that matter, and I hate to be a jerk, but the fans that matter are tired of it, and those are the people that are donating thousands of dollars a year to the school to get the best tickets in college football. And I think most of you are big enough college football, college basketball fans to know that when you show up to the arena or to the stadium at these big football stadiums, it's not just enough to pay for the price of the ticket. You also got to pay a donation to the school just to get to buy the tickets. And obviously, as you can guess at Alabama, the prices are pretty steep. And so what Ryan Fowler was telling me was very simply this. He said, look, the bottom line is, some years, our schedule hasn't really been that good. Now, this year is the exception, because if you have not seen Alabama's schedule, they actually played Georgia and my boy Kirby Smart in Week 3 in Tuscaloosa. They also get Texas A&M, who should be good, and Auburn, who should be good at home. And so, really, Alabama's schedule is pretty good this year. But in the past, they have played these neutral site games early, and then it's a bunch of New Mexico states, and it's a bunch of Troys. And if you don't have LSU on that schedule, or you don't have Auburn on that schedule, or even if you have one you might not get a good home game until November. If Arkansas stinks and Mississippi State stinks and Texas A&M isn't as good as they usually are, you might not get a meaningful home game until the beginning of November. And I think the fans were tired of it and I think that is part of the reason that Alabama has been so aggressive. The second reason, and this is the one nobody talks about, and this is why AT does what AT does. I think about this stuff in a way that I don't believe anybody else does. And that's very simply this. Is I believe that... The reason that Alabama is being so aggressive in scheduling, no different than Ohio State, no different than USC, no different than LSU, all these teams are getting more aggressive in scheduling. I believe that we are headed towards a not-too-distant future with an expanded college football playoff. And now to backtrack, to be clear, I am not pro playoff expansion. If you've listened to this show through football season, I have said it for three, four, five years in a row, even before I had this show. We don't need to expand the college football playoff. We haven't had a single season where we've had four teams in the playoff that can truly win the national championship. Remember last year, Oklahoma snuck in as the fourth team? Remember when they gave up 70 to LSU in the college football semifinal? Remember when Notre Dame played Clemson a few years ago and the game was over after the first quarter? Remember when Michigan State got boat raced by Bama? Remember when Clemson boat raced Ohio State a few years ago in a game I was at in Phoenix? It's very rare that, If not, we have never had a year where we have four teams that are truly capable of winning the national championship. Never forget last year, the three teams that were battling for the last spot, Oklahoma who got boat raced by LSU, Baylor who lost to Oklahoma so presumptively would have gotten boat raced by LSU, and Oregon which was a very nice team, but they lost to Arizona State like two weeks left in the season. You can't lose to Arizona State and be a college football playoff team. And so I have no problem with the playoff where it is. But when I look at how aggressive Bama is scheduling, it leads me to truly believe that we are headed to a future, a not-too-distant future with an expanded playoff. And why am I so confident in that? It's because look at Bama's schedule. Look at what Bama is doing in the non-conference. I already said it a minute ago, but they have home-and-homes with Ohio State, Texas, Notre Dame, I forgot to mention Florida State, West Virginia, Wisconsin, and there are now years where they are playing multiple Power 5 teams out of conference in addition, in addition to who they're already playing in conference. And so you go to that 2027 year where they play at Ohio State. They also host West Virginia, and that's on top of a full SEC schedule, which will include a home game against LSU, a road game against Auburn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I bring this up to say that this is the new reality that, oh, by the way, in 2028, how about this, 2028, 2028, Alabama plays at Notre Dame and Ohio State at home in addition, in addition to a full SEC schedule. And so, what you know what that says to me? Alabama knows that by 2027 we can take a loss or two and still be in the playoff mix. And this is why I think there's going to be college football playoff expansion. Because right now, there's really only one way to make the college football playoff. And it is to be a power five team with one or less losses, right? Because we've had champions and non-champions. We've had champions left out of the college football playoff multiple times. Pac-12 hasn't had its champion in the college football playoff in five years. The one thing you can't do is, is lose two games. Because Oklahoma got in with one loss last year. Never forget two years ago, Alabama got in, or it was three years ago, excuse me, that Alabama got in as the four seed because they had just one loss over a two-loss Ohio State team. Never forget two years ago, we took Oklahoma over Georgia. Georgia was a two-loss team. Remember, that was the year that they played Bama tougher than everybody. We got to put them in the playoff. Playoff committee said you got two losses, Oklahoma State's one-loss conference champ. Oklahoma's going to the playoff. And so when I look at this reality going forward, I think that Alabama has to feel pretty confident that one loss, even two losses, is not going to keep us out of the playoff. Otherwise, why are you scheduling Ohio State? Why are you scheduling Notre Dame? Because you know being a one-loss or undefeated SEC champion is enough to get you in. I think part of it is the, the scheduling that I talked about is the home dates that the fans are now clamoring for, clamoring for good games outside of the conference at home, They don't want September to be a complete wash, play New Mexico State and Troy and Coastal Carolina and whoever. But two, I think Alabama realizes, look, man, give it a year. I mean, give it five years. Give it six years. There is going to be a scenario where we can have two losses, not be the SEC champ, and still make the college football playoff, especially, by the way, if we have a really strong strength of schedule. If in 2027 we are 10-2, and but our two losses are at LSU and at Ohio State, we are going to have a case to make the college football playoff, even with two losses, and even without winning the conference championship. So that is just my personal opinion, but I haven't heard anybody say that, and that was what immediately came to mind when I saw this news. It was just one of those deals where I just said, there's gotta be more than this. It's gotta be more than just pleasing the fans, because the one thing you know about Nick Saban, in Nick Saban's world, it's championship or bust. In Tuscaloosa, it is championship or bust. And so because of that, I truly believe that Alabama believes that by 2027, 2028, maybe 2025, that the college football playoff will be expanded. They can get in with two losses. All right, really quick, two basketball topics that I wanna get into. And one, I mentioned it off the top. How about your boy Bill Self? So I saw this headline and it cracked me up and I have to talk about it. And it is your boy Bill Self the head coach at the University of Kansas, who, oh, by the way, like, for all that I criticize about Bill Self, guy is a great coach. Like, he is an incredible coach. Kansas is always in the mix. They they were the favorite going into this year's NCAA tournament that never was. And so if we do have any Kansas fans, and all I do is crush your coach, so forgive me if there's no Kansas fans that listen to this show. But for whatever I think about Bill Self, like, he is an incredible, incredible, incredible basketball coach. I think you can make the argument that he is right up there with Calipari, maybe Coach K in terms of just give him a bunch of guys and he's going to figure it out by the end of the year. I mean, we're talking about now like almost two decades where he had one down season, which was two years ago when he lost his best player to injury for the season in Adoka Azabuke. Before Azabuke got hurt, Kansas was the number one team in the country. And so when I crush Bill Self, it is not about like, oh, I just decided that I don't like Bill Self. But again, it goes back to what I said to start the show with Clemson. I have to look at the facts of what happened at Kansas. I have to look at the facts that the NCAA has already delivered its notice of allegations. NCAA has already gone to campus and investigated Kansas, okay? Kansas is further along in this process with the NCAA than any school other than Oklahoma State. Arizona has not received their notice of allegations. Louisville just got their notice of allegations. Well, Kansas got their notice of allegations in November, and in November, they were found guilty of five level one rules violations. For comparison's sake, Louisville was found guilty of one level five violation. So for all the dirt that Rick Pitino kicked up during his time at Louisville, for the fact that Oklahoma State just got a one-year postseason ban for a one level one violation. Kansas, on the other hand, has five, and that's not my opinion. That is what the NCAA has said happened at Kansas. Well, apparently Bill Self ain't going to take this sitting down because on Thursday I saw this headline and it just cracked me up. It is that Bill Self, this is the headline straight from ESPN, Kansas basketball coach Bill Self considering legal action versus NCAA attorney says. And so I just want to read you a direct quote from Bill Self's attorney. He said, without limiting Mr. Self's claims, he is considering bringing legal action against the NCAA and NCAA officers, employees and representatives for negligence, breach of contract, defamation, fraud, tortuous, and that's a big word, so forgive AT, I must have not gotten that one on the SAT, tortuous interference with contract and tortuous interference with a prospective contact. And so, contract, excuse me. And so why do I bring it up? What does that mean? It means that Bill Self is is suing the NCAA for defamation. And why defamation? Well, it's because, as I said, the NCAA is very publicly going after Bill Self and his program. And why are they going after Bill Self? It is because, as I've told you a million times on this show, while no other media member in America will talk about it, Bill Self, like, really broke the NCAA rules. And I've been over it time and time again, and I've talked about it three, four, five, six, ten 10 times over the course of the last two years. But Bill Self, there is a pretty linear text chain that directly involves Bill Self with recruiting violations, with Adidas, getting Adidas to pay players to come to Kansas. Now you can argue players should be paid. You can argue it's not that big of a deal. Everybody does it. I will let you make that argument. But what is indisputable is that in a world where say what you want about Rick Pitino, say what you want about Rick Pitino, there is still zero proof that he ever knew that Brian Bowen was going to get paid by Adidas. Now, you can say that it was plausible deniability, as they call it, that Rick Pitino did everything to make sure that he didn't know. But the fact remains is that Rick Pitino didn't know. And this is a guy that's gotten dragged through the mud, that's lost his job, that has resurfaced at Iona. Say what you want about Rick Pitino. It was never found that he knowingly knew that Brian Bowen was paid by Adidas. Arizona, I talk about this all the time. Sean Miller, as of right now, they have not gotten their report yet. I will defend Sean Miller until there is no reason to defend him anymore. And what I mean by that is this. What we know that Sean Miller did was two things. He hired a coach, Book Richardson, who took money to give to a recruit. Not good, but I don't know how you can pin that on Sean Miller if we're not going to pin that on Rick Pitino, right? Rick Pitino still has a job. He did the same thing that Sean Miller did. He hired a guy who gave money to a recruit. The only other thing that Sean Miller's found guilty of is getting caught on a wiretap talking about Will Wade being willing to allegedly pay recruits. That's what Sean Miller's found guilty of. That whole DeAndre Ayton story, I've said it a million times. You can go back and look it up. Christian Dawkins said that call never happened. Christian Dawkins said he never talked to Sean Miller once about DeAndre Ayton. And so I will defend Sean Miller until they get the notice of allegations. And if there is something that directly ties Sean Miller to violations, I will go after Sean Miller. But right now there is nothing to say that he did or he knew and knowingly broke NCAA rules. Bill Self was right in the middle of it. Bill Self was texting his assistants and texting Adidas coaches or texting Adidas reps to get his... Recruits paid to get them to Kansas. Silvio D'Souza, who's going to be a senior this year. Billy Preston, who literally I believe never played a game at Kansas, crashed a car, left campus before uh, you know anything came out. And so this isn't like me going after Bill Self, but I I don't know what his like argument for defamation is. It's facts. It's indisputable. We have text messages. Everything against Rick Patino is circumstantial. Well, he had to know. How could Rick Patino not know? Well, we don't have a text message. We don't have a phone call. We don't have an email. We don't have a secret meeting that was recorded by the FBI. Sean Miller, same deal. We have wiretaps. Sean Miller has never broken an NCAA rule in the wiretaps. But Bill Self, we got text messages. We got a, a, a chain. We got actual data, actual evidence. And so I don't really know what the defamation lawsuit will be. Now, do I think that Bill Self is trying to bully the NCAA a little bit? Do I think he's trying to get them to back off so that he can keep his job and he can keep running his program the way that he is? And do I think it's a it's an, uh, uh, coincidence that this comes after Oklahoma State, as I've talked about two, three times on the show, got absolutely hammered by the NCAA? I don't think it's coincidence. I don't think that it is strange that Bill Self... Is doing this at this exact moment with Kansas kind of next up on the chopping block in terms of schools that could get punished by the NCAA. But I also don't really know what his argument is. Again, whether you think NCAA rules are dumb or not, and I'll leave that up to you. I will leave it up to you whether you think players should get more, players are fairly compensated. What I will tell you, whatever you think of NCAA rules, Bill Stealth still broke a bunch of them. And I use this example all the time. But I may hate that the speed limit is 35 miles an hour. I may think that it's stupid. But if I get clocked going 38 and the officer gives me a ticket, there's nothing, I can't, there's no argument for that. Whether I think the rule is stupid or not, I still broke it, in this case, the law. If I think the law is stupid that it's 35 miles an hour, I still broke the law. Bill Self, whether you think the rules are dumb or not, you still broke a bunch of them. And so I'll be fascinated to see what the legal grounds of this argument are. And maybe I'll get my boy Dan Lust, the lawyer, who I think is the best legal mind in uh, in, in sports right now. He is a lawyer. Maybe I'll get him on in the coming weeks to talk about all this stuff, this stuff, the Zion stuff, because it's fascinating to me. I don't know what Bill Self's argument is. He broke a bunch of NCAA rules, and he got caught. And there are text messages to prove as such. And it's funny, I'll wrap on this. Is it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Uh, it was called oh man why am I blanking on the movie it's with Rodney Dangerfield it's called Back to School where Rodney Dangerfield uh, his son enrolls in college and Rodney Dangerfield is this big successful uh, businessman he says you know what I never went to college I want to go to college too and so he goes to college and one of their first classes they take together they have this crazy history professor played by the late Sam Kinison great comedian and the history professor starts his lecture he starts yelling and screaming and you know kind of like AT does honestly on the show all the time but he starts yelling and screaming and ronnie dangerfield walks out of his out of the class with his son and it, and ronnie dangerfield says to his son son that man is very passionate about what i have no idea and that is what that reminds me of with bill self he is clearly very passionate about this lawsuit But I have no idea what the grounds are and I will be fascinated to see because I don't think it's a lawsuit you can win. If you break rules that you knowingly signed up not to break, I don't really think there's much you can do. All right, last topic and we'll get out of here. I'm going long. Got me fired up. I'm hot. I'm bothered by this Clemson stuff and by, you know, I'm fired up about Ohio State and Alabama in 2027. Bill Self's got me going crazy. I do want to talk about this NBA draft story that came out on Saturday and that is very simply this is that the NBA, as we've talked about kind of really since the the NCAA tournament ended, the NBA has moved back the draft until basically the end of October, okay? And so why is that important? It, It comes a few days after the season, and basically the reason that it's important is very simply because of the fact that with the NBA draft moving back to October, the NBA changed its draft deadline withdrawal date. And what does that mean, okay? So under normal circumstances in a normal year, NBA draft is in the middle of, um, you know, whatever. It's, it's in the middle of June, end of June, June 20th, I think it was last year, June 21st, whatever. And the, the date to withdraw is, say, May 31st. And the reason it's that way is very simply this, is the NBA teams need to know what the actual pool of players are that they're going to potentially be drafting. They don't want to keep bringing guys into their facilities to work them out if those guys are then eventually going to return to school. And so this year, the original withdrawal date was, of course, in the, the, you know, I think it was whatever, the end of April or beginning of May or whatever. And when the NBA draft got pushed back, the NBA announced earlier this week, or excuse me, over the course of this weekend, that the withdrawal date is now August 17th. And so it's created this weird loophole where players who did not declare after the season, they kind of have a weird one time, this is never going to happen again, a one time second window to declare for the draft, okay? And they can kind of now redeclare for the draft. And they have until August 17th. Now, they really don't have until August 17th because the NCAA deadline is August 3rd. And so basically, if you want to retain your college eligibility, you have to pull out by August 3rd. But it did create kind of this weird loophole gray area. And I'll be honest, it it did create some confusion among fans and some nervousness among fans for two reasons. I think one, the first reason is very simply this, is that players that didn't enter the draft can now re-enter um, and, and, and and everyone kind of made a big deal about that. But I don't really know how many players there were that didn't declare that will now declare. I mean, how many guys actually publicly announced that were good enough to go to the NBA publicly announced that they're coming back to college? It was basically like Scotty Lewis at, at Florida, maybe Keontae Johnson at Florida, Matt Hurt, Wendell Moore at Duke. I mean, I guess Keon Brooks at, at Kentucky, David Johnson at Louisville. So in theory, all those guys could now declare for the draft. I don't see any of them doing it, though. There is no more clarity to the draft process now than there was in April or May. There is still no guarantee that by August you'll be able to get into the facility to work out for teams. And oh, by the way, it's just really late to start the draft process. The one thing I can tell you, I've talked to a lot of people behind the scenes over the last couple months, the NBA has really done as much homework as they can on these kids While this process has been going on with the pandemic, guys are at home. They're watching more film than they've ever watched. They're doing a ton of Zoom interviews. I mean, I could tell you a guy like Tyrese Maxey, Emmanuel Quickly, Mason Jones, they've done Zoom interviews with 10, 12, 15, 20 NBA teams at this point. So the process is really far along. And so I just can't see... Now, could there be an exception, a player who... Now re enters the draft based on this weird quirk. I could see a player trying it. I could see two players trying it. I don't think it's going to be this second uh, group of guys that's 20, 30, 40 guys. I think most guys kind of know where they stand. I think the reason Andrew Nemhard and, uh, you know, Mac McClung and guys like that withdrew from the draft was because they knew they weren't getting drafted or they weren't getting drafted where they wanted and they knew they had to come back to school. So that's the first reason that fans kind of freaked out, and then I think the second reason that fans freaked out, we have a lot of Kentucky fans that listen to this show, and Kentucky fans are asking a question now about their star transfer, Olivier Saar, who transferred from Wake Forest, and I've said it on this show, I think Olivier Saar is the best transfer big man to hit the portal this summer. Now you can argue maybe a, a Mac McClung is a little bit better, or this guy's a little bit better, or Andrew Nemhart, or whatever. In terms of a big man, Olivier Saar is the best and he is exactly what Kentucky needed. And my buddy Matt Jones brought up a really good point on his Twitter feed. He said, well look, Olivier Saar, we're not really worried about him declaring for the draft now, although he could, but the biggest argument that Olivier Saar has to potentially get a waiver to play college basketball next year is that... He didn't really have time to go through the draft process. And for people who don't know, and I think most people who are still listening at this point know, but um, Olivier Saar, the the story on him was very simply this. He was at Wake Forest. He very briefly considered entering the NBA draft. Then his head coach, Danny Manning, talked him out of it, said, come back, be a senior, be my leader. We're going to do this together. We're going to have a great season. Olivier Saar, at that point, never fills out the paperwork, never seriously considers it. And then, oh, by the way, Danny Manning gets fired like two, three days later, and, uh, and Olivier Saar very briefly considers it, meet with Steve Forbes, and decides to transfer. And so the argument, and I think, you know, to be clear, the, the the Kentucky writers who have said it, it's not just Matt, but it's it's a bunch of guys, I think they're right in thinking this, is that, you know, this hurts Olivier Saar's waiver process because the biggest argument that Olivier Saar has to get eligible right away is that he couldn't test the draft waters and he really was left without options because of the timing of the firing of his head coach. And that's actually 100% correct. And now the argument would be, well now, if he wanted to enter the NBA draft, if he wanted to look at pro options, he now has this second window and it really hurts his waiver. And again, I'm not criticizing anyone in the media because I think that argument is valid. I think it makes sense. I saw a three, four, five Kentucky writers all say the same thing and I think they are all right in thinking that. But what I would also say, I don't know that I buy that it changes his waiver that much. So if you're a Kentucky fan listening, I don't think it's as big of a deal as maybe it felt in that moment. And I'll tell you why. It's because Olivier Saar, like like nothing has really changed in Olivier Saar's waiver argument, except that the NBA has now put a second deadline. What doesn't change is that Olivier Saar was considering maybe entering the NBA draft and was talked about it by his coach. What wasn't talked about is that, what hasn't changed is that Olivier Saar's coach was still fired in the middle of May when he was basically out of options. He had like a day or two to declare and it wasn't a great option. What hasn't changed is that he's ended up at Kentucky and what I don't think really changes is that like he's not going to enter the NBA draft right now. Maybe he will. Maybe by the time you listen to this, Olivier Saar will put his name in the NBA draft for feedback. That being said, assuming that he doesn't, and I don't want to put anything at 0%, I don't think it really changes Kentucky's argument because Kentucky's argument is basically this, is that he really, if if the NBA was really a consideration, he didn't really have time to consider it. He was put in a really bad situation. He made the most of it. And I just don't think for the reason that I said that arguing that he now has this second window is really realistic, right? Like, it, it, it is an argument. It is an argument. To be abundantly clear, it is an argument. But if you really think about it, what did I just say? I can tell you for a fact that some of these players have had s- Zoom interviews with 15, 20, 25 NBA teams. They've had, you know, whiteboard breakdowns through Zoom, and they've had, mul- you know, some have gone back for a second, third interview, and these teams have spent months now I'm talking they spend all year, but they have spent the last three months breaking down film, getting to know these players. And so I think it's unrealistic from the NCAA's perspective to say, well, now you had this window to go test the NBA draft process. Because you can't start the process on June 22nd when Emmanuel Quickly and Mason Jones and Anthony Edwards and Cole Anthony have a three-month head start on you. Those guys have been meeting with NBA teams since the middle of March. We're talking about the end of June now. And so to me, I, I you know, for a Kentucky fan, I get the concern. I get why the media in this case, you know, kind of brought it to the attention of a Kentucky fan, but I don't think it changes. I think Olivier Saar is still like, dude, I wanna like I wanna play college basketball. I didn't have a chance to weigh my options, and this was the best option given everything. By the way, I think the fact that Olivier Saar already submitted his transfer waiver according to a report last week is probably a good thing. Because it probably means that he is all in two feet on being in Kentucky, at least in the eyes of Kentucky's argument with the NCA. Now, look, I'll say two things. One, I don't know Olivier Saar. I don't really know the people around him. Maybe he does declare for the draft. Maybe by the time you listen to this, he has declared for the draft and he does really pursue that as a serious option. And two... I would also say, I really have. You never know what the NCAA is going to do. You just never know what the NCAA is going to do in a case like this. And so I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend that I know with 100% certainty that the NCAA is going to think the way that I do on this. But with that said, it doesn't really make sense for the NCAA to hold it against Olivier Saar that there is this once in a lifetime window where he could re enter the NBA draft in the middle of June just doesn't make sense, just isn't realistic, and I hope for the sake of the kid that the NCAA sees it the same way, because I don't think it's fair to that kid to hold him off the court when the options at the time were as bad as they were. Whew. All right, long episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast today. Throat's a little dry, throat's a little sore, but I killed it. I killed it. I killed it, and I hope you guys, and seriously, I'll say this before I let you go. I hope you guys learned something today, and I hope that you know, as I continue to do this show, and I set it off the top, but one of the reasons that you guys like me is that I always, 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 I just tell it like it is, and I just try to look at the facts, and I try to look at the data, and I try to take my emotion out of it, and I try not to get into the group mentality, group think, herd mentality, whatever, of whatever the topic is, like I said a minute ago, whether it's Louisville stinking when I can see it and nobody else can, if that's my honest opinion, I'm going to say it. If uh, it's that I think Tua's a better quarterback than Joe Burrow, and that's my honest opinion, even though Joe Burrow went number one, I'm gonna say it. And I try to apply that to everything. That's why I talk Clemson to lead the show. I know it's not for everybody, but I hope that you guys are listening, consuming, and understanding where I'm coming from, and that you really understand that I'm not trying to to, to, to pick a side or tell you not to worry or don't be scared or whatever. I'm just telling you, let's look at the facts and let's look at reality of the situation, whether it is Clemson football whether it is Bill Self's crazy, um, you know, uh, uh, lawsuit, whether it is Olivier Sar; whatever, and I think that's it. Again, I hope you guys had a great Father's Day, and I hope you'll continue supporting this show. I, like I said, I am so grateful for the number of you that continue to download this show, that continue to share with your friends, that continue to believe in what I do. As I said, on pace for a downloads record in June, this after a downloads record in May, and oh, by the way, other people are noticing too, we got some sponsors lined up. If you are interested in potentially sponsoring the show, if you know somebody that owns a small business, you can always reach out to me at Aaron uh, Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com and we will get you the information that you need to be a sponsor of the show. But it is a fun show. It is a community and it is a community that continues to grow. And I do encourage you, like I said, if you think you have friends that want the 100% raw, real truth all the time. Tell them about the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. That's how this show is going to grow by you guys sharing with your friends. So that is all for today's show. I want to thank you guys for being a part of this, all that stuff. So if you're not already subscribed, make sure to do so. iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Android, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the show. Make sure to rate and review. Give us a quick five stars. Follow us on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Aaron Torres Writer. Follow on uh, YouTube, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com if you want to be part of the show. Finally, that's it for the show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. And for one day, shout out to my boy Diego the Tortoise. Uh, It's been a fun show. I hope it's been informative. And guess what? I'll be back later this week.